This is Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Making the Rounds features advice, interviews, and discussions on important topics impacting the lives and careers of medical students and residents. And now I am joined by a special guest, Dr. Donna Lamb, President and Chief Executive Officer of the National Resident Matching Program, or NRMP, in Washington, D.C., for a broader discussion about this year's match. What went well, what we learned, and if it looked like a more pre-pandemic match this year. Dr. Lamb, thanks for joining us today. Todd, it's so good to see you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And we too enjoyed watching those uh, match celebrations as they occurred across the country. They're just, they're heartwarming for sure. They are, and uh, it's funny to think, we talked last time in April of 2021, how much has changed uh, since then. And just uh, what a pleasure to be back in person and to be able to see that. So um, let's start off with kind of at the high level with participation levels. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the level of participation in the match this year and how it compared to previous years? Sure. Um, participation in the match was high. And, you know, that really wasn't surprising to us given the ACGME's report of new program accreditation and position accreditation being higher than expected throughout the pandemic. Um, but specific to this year's participation, there were 6,270 programs offering a total of 40,375 positions. And this is an increase of about 3% from 2022, which is amazing. Um, when we look at applicants, we look at them in two ways. First, who registered for the match, and then who uh, was active in the match or who certified a rank order list. And so we saw about a 1% increase in the number of registered applicants. There were 48,156. But a little unexpected was the majority of the gain in the applicant numbers were non-U.S. citizen international medical graduates. They saw an increase of over 700 applicants. And then osteopathic seniors uh, saw an increase of over 150 applicants. So we saw um, a slight decrease, though, this year in USMD seniors, about 236 less that registered for the match this year than in prior years. Then when we look at, um, I mentioned the active applicants, they're the ones who uh, completed and certified a rank order list. We saw an overall increase in active applicants of about 403, bringing us to about 42,952 active applicants. So it was a good size match. It was. And how did the, this level of participation uh, influence the overall match rates for applicants and, and the program fill rates? Well, when we ran the algorithm of those 40,375 positions that were offered, 93% or 37,690 of those positions filled. And that includes um, both the PGY1 and the PGY2 positions. And that 93% is in line with historic match rates. Then if we look at just the PGY1 positions, about 34,822 applicants matched, and that was an increase of 747 applicants over the 2022 main residency match. So the PGY1 match rate uh, went up just a little bit uh, from 80.1% in 2022 to 81.1% in 2023. So again, a good outcome. Now, I'm going to say, in the six years I've been here at the AMA, I don't think I've ever read about match rates in all of kind of mainstream newspapers, but there are stories this week uh, about certain specialties that maybe fared better than others this year. 
Um, talk to us a little bit about kind of what you see driving those kind of different match rates. All right, well, let's talk uh, a little bit about kind of the numbers again, if you don't mind, uh, Todd, because I want to talk about who did well this year as well as who uh, is in the news, to your point. Um, internal medicine did great this year. They filled at 96%, um, and that's been a slight increase over the previous three years. So internal medicine continues to draw applicants from all of the different cohorts of, um, of uh, applicant types, international medical graduates, U.S. seniors, um, and graduate um, applicants. Pediatrics and psychiatry uh, remained consistently high with 97 and 99% fill rates, uh, respectively. And then, of course, the historically competitive specialties that include general surgery, anesthesia, neurosurgery, um, OBGYN, orthopedic surgery, they all continued to fill at very high levels. But there were a few specialties where we had some interesting findings. Um, diagnostic radiology, who saw a dip in uh, match rates in 2020, went all the way down to 94.3 has now seen a match rate of 100% over the last two years. And so that may indicate that it's sustaining a competitive stance as a specialty. And of course, interventional radiology also continues to uh, match at a very high rate, again, at 100% this year. Um, but two specialties that had uh, some declines this year, um, family medicine. Uh, family medicine filled at 88.6% this year, and that was a decrease of two percentage points from last year. And this could potentially be a red flag. Um, I know we always uh, talk about family medicine and their fill rates uh, and where they're filling across the country, but this specialty has seen a year-over-year -year decline in their match rate over the previous five years. And this is uh, representing about an 8% percentage point decrease in match rate uh, for family medicine since 2018. So we really do need to pay attention to that specialty. Um, to your point in the news, uh, this match cycle is emergency medicine. Um, they saw a decline in their match rates for the second year in a row. Uh, this year's match rate was 81.6%, and that's an 11 percentage point decrease from the positions that were filled in 2022. Um, at the end of the, the match, when the algorithm was run, um, there were 554 positions remaining unfilled. So um, that was obviously a concern to the emergency medicine community. But the, the silver lining is that at the end of the supplemental offer and acceptance period, which ended last Thursday, all but 44% of those positions, uh, of the 554 positions were filled. So ultimately, emergency medicine had a higher fill rate, but certainly the specialty needs to understand what's happening um, to be able to address the needs of the new physicians entering the field. Absolutely. And thankfully, we've largely emerged from uh, the acute phase of the pandemic. In-person learning activities, including clinical rotations, have fully resumed. Did this help relieve any of the challenges that students and programs have experienced over the past couple years? You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Uh, 
yeah, that's so hard to say, Todd. You know, medical education is certainly starting to more fully engage in the way that it did before the pandemic, but the healthcare environment and the learning environment have fundamentally changed. And so medical education is still working to adapt to those changes. But um, one example of a specific or of a shift that's specific to the transition to residency, um, if I may, um, one thing that helped to alleviate some of the stressors uh, include that shift to virtual interviews. Um, so this was an important shift um, that is affecting applicants and program, but it's a shift that appears to be really valuable for applicants, mostly due to the decrease in cost, which has a direct impact on their student debt, a decrease in the associated stress of having to schedule travel, as well as take time away from their fourth year clinical rotations. But there are also cons, right? Applicants are trying to work through, you know, learning what's the pulse of the program, what's their mission, what's their culture, what's their vibe, what's the community like? And of course, programs who um, have, for the most part, retained virtual interviews also have very mixed feelings about them. I mean, there are tangible and intangible cost improvements in the interview cycle, but, you know, in-person interviews help to enhance the program's ability to showcase their program their organization, their community, and, and frankly, programs indicate that they find it easier to assess an applicant in person. So, you know, some things have been alleviated and some things are still yet to be seen. I think we're all learning ourselves through that particular balance right there. Um, <laughs> Dr. Lamb, several specialties allowed applicants to signal programs, their preferences, and provide more information about themselves in terms of past experiences, geographic preferences, things like that. Do you think that helped programs and applicants in the match process? This is a great question, and unfortunately one that we really don't know the answer to yet. Um, preference signaling in its current form only allows applicants to send a signal of interest to programs where they want to interview. So it's not a signal of their desire to either rank or match uh, with a program. And so to date, otolaryngology is the only one who has substantially published their preference signaling outcomes. And they're reporting that they're uh, relatively positive in terms of seeing a more diverse candidate pool and seeing applicants that they might not have otherwise. But our team has studied the first year otolaryngology's preference signaling data to see if the impact on the interview selection carried over to the ranking and matching behavior. In other words, uh, did the more diverse pool of applicants translate into a more diverse pool of trainees. And when we looked at that first year's data, and again, it's only the first year's data, um, it really didn't translate. There really wasn't a change in the patterns of ranking and matching. Uh, but again, we keep in mind that this is the first year's data. We wouldn't expect to see immediate changes. And we really look forward to working with all of the specialties to better understand how preference signaling might be impacting not only their interview, but their ranking and, and matching behaviors. Now, you mentioned SOAP earlier, and that's Match Week's Supplemental Offer and Acceptance Program. How'd it go this year? Anything that stands out to you in particular? Um, well, the process for extending applications, engaging in interviews, and offering positions went very, very smoothly, uh, which we were all pleased with. Um, this year, there were 2,685 positions unfilled after the algorithm were run, and of those positions, um, 2,658 were placed in SOAP. Um, so consistent with um, historical uh, trends in SOAP, we saw about 51% of those positions uh, were offered and accepted during the first round, 75% by the end of the second round, 
And at the end of the fourth round, there were about uh, 227 positions that remained. So about 91% of the available positions in SOAP were filled. And then when you put that together with the main residency match rate, that brought the, the full matching cycle to around 99% of the programs that were offered at the beginning of match ended up being filled. So we were quite excited about it. So uh, that stands out to us for sure. Well, it does sound, uh, uh, you should be really pleased based on those yeah. results. Uh, where do you see the biggest opportunities kind of going forward based on what you learned this year? Um, right now, I think our biggest opportunity is to continue to, to try and figure out where we can continue to reduce stressors. So right now, uh, we are looking at a proposal that came from the community. We actually have a call for public comment out. Um, the, the community has indicated that they would like for programs to be able to voluntarily uh, lock their rank order lists. Um, a couple of weeks prior to the applicants so that those applicants who have virtual interviews would have an opportunity to come and visit the program um, before they certify their own rank order list, uh, knowing that the program have already selected um, their rank order list and certified their list. Um, and then we're looking at whether or not we should change that timeline in match week. Um, I'm hesitant to do so, to be honest with you, um, because I feel like right now we have a fairly good process, but there are folks who are still asking us to consider moving the match status notification, the did I match or not notification to the week before match week. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. We're gonna be talking to um, various constituents, the Council of Deans programs about how they feel about that possibility. But um, those are two things where we can um, assess whether or not we can continue to alleviate stressors. And those uh, right now are where we're looking to improve the, the transition to residency process. Well, I love the continued innovation here. So just a huge shout out to you and the entire NRMP team. I know this has been kind of Super Bowl week for you this past week and uh, very exciting. I take a, a quick breather and then get ready for next year. It keeps <laughs> happening. Uh, that, that is it for today's episode. Dr. Lamb, again, thanks so much. It's good to see you here. I'll see you back in a year and we can talk about next year's match too. Uh, that's it for the today's episode. Uh, if you want to catch all our videos and podcasts, you know where to find them, ama-assn.org slash podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care.